0: Welcome to the Inner Room, a study where we review highlights on daily scriptures and focus on the instruction and examples they provide to learn mastery of our emotions, to guide us in our spiritual journey, to learn to pray, worship, and listen to God's will for our lives. Today, we are reading from the first book of Kings 17. And Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve during these years, there shall be no dew or rain except at my word. The Lord then said to Elijah, Leave here, go east, and hide in the Wadi Wadi Kerith, east of the Jordan. You shall drink of the stream, and I have commanded Ravens to feed you there. So he left and did as the Lord commanded. He went and remained by the Wadi Kerith, east of the Jordan. Ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the stream. This is an image that can be more easily understood if we dive a little bit deeper into some of the characters and the actual place. First of all, Elijah is a prophet. He is from the northern king kingdom from the northern kingdom and he's talking talking to Ahab and who is Ahab he is the king of that of that northern kingdom and he is telling them that God who is Yahweh is going to not provide rain for a while until he decides that their behavior has aligned better at that time those tribes were worshiping the Baals And Elijah is talking about God, and only one God, monotheism, which was odd at that time for many of the people in that region. So the Lord not only sends him to talk to the king with a very difficult message, but then once he's delivered the message, the Lord tells him to go to a place and hide there. And what is the wadi kereth? Well, wadi is like a stream, and kereth is sort of a brook, and... I am going to be posting on my Facebook, a little video that I found that shows the actual brook. And it's important to see it because this is where Elijah Elijah is going to hide while there's a drought in the region. And then God tells him he's he's gonna be fed by, by ravens. And ravens are animals that according to the Jewish law, the kosher law cannot be eaten. But they're going to be bringing him food. So can you imagine being in hiding after having spoken to the king and then being fed by birds? And the reading tells us that they're bringing bread and meat in the morning and at night. We know that God provides for Moses' people in the desert as well. He gives them manna and he gives them quails. So this story is important as we consider for ourselves In our own place that we are in right now in our life, are we on mission and are we allowing the Lord when we obey, when we follow his commandments, when we do what we've been entrusted to do in our little world with our spouses, with our children, with our coworkers, with the people we lead, with our sales environments or our industry environments or our political environments? Are we taking care of that garden that has been entrusted to us of people and and things that are under our care in a way that we count on God's provision? This story of Elijah can help us ponder on a couple of important questions and understand if we would be willing to go to the lengths that Elijah goes to? Speaking against authorities that are doing the wrong thing. Can we do that in our world today? As we see that there are issues with the pandemic or issues with political and social problems that have arisen in our world. Can we stand up to truth? Can we speak it to those authority figures when it's needed? Can we count then on God's provision when we feel that God is sending us somewhere that might be odd, like he's sent away to a stream and he lives out in the wilderness for a while and he's fed by birds. Some parts of our life can be similar when we are sent somewhere where we don't really know what the outcome might be or in this pandemic as we're being... Um, stripped of many things and simplified in many ways, we might also have a synonym of the Ravens because we have to rely on something or someone that we never expected in order to continue our journey. Now, imagine that you, like Elijah, are sent on a mission where you're given instructions to do something dangerous, like speaking to someone in power. And that then you're asked to be sent away to a location where you're not connected to the world, you're not close to others, and you have to survive in some form of the wild. Maybe you don't have to be out in the wilderness like Elijah was, but maybe there's an equivalent to that where you're in a place or in a position. Imagine, for example, some of my friends in Spain who are doctors and nurses and they're in the front of fighting the pandemic, many of them have gotten sick and they've had to be in quarantine away from their own families. This would be very similar. I know some of them, you know, get a plate of food through the door and they are staying away from everybody that they know. So you might be in a situation like that. I can imagine also the people that were on the cruise ships, they were not allowed to leave. They had to be inside of their rooms and they were trying to find a port where to go. So some of these stories Uh, have a relationship to current conditions and they can have also a connection to our life and they teach us behaviors and responses that are aligned with God. In the psalm today, Psalm 121, we read our help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. When we can count that our help comes from above, that we have divine assistance, We can stay in those places of hardship, knowing that the Lord will surprise us. When we remain in a place of hope, when we guide our emotions to be aligned with thoughts of divinity and God's provision, we stay there with a sense of gratitude. And gratitude is something that can be practiced. In fact, every night is very nice to end our day by saying at least three, five, ten things for which we're grateful. And it's very good also to begin our day that way. It is known scientifically, neuroscientists have measured that gratitude creates endorphins flowing in our brain. And at a physical level, they help us. At an emotional level, they help us elevate the vibration of our being such that we choose to move away from emotions that are negative to emotions that can help us to align the very best within us. So our help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth is a statement we can practice to arrive at that divine sense of perspective. My help, um, the Lord is your guardian. The Lord is your shade. He is beside you at your right hand. The sun shall not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will guard you from all evil. He will guard your life. The Lord will guard your coming and your going, both now and forever. I wonder if Elijah knew of this psalm, and I wonder if he repeated it, because we know that he's been fed, which must be amazing. And this can happen, you know, when you get something amazing that you didn't expect. But the ravens are coming morning and night to feed him. Can you imagine that? All of a sudden, you get from an unexpected source provision that the Lord said was coming. Can you remain on that on that place of grateful expectation? The Psalms are a way to help us align our emotions, especially on a time of hardship. In the Gospel today, Matthew five one through twelve, Jesus gives us the Beatitudes. I love the little descriptions that the evangelists use to position a reading. When Jesus saw the crowds, that's beautiful to imagine Jesus looking out and seeing there's a crowd around him. He went up the mountain, so he sees the crowd and goes up the mountain, and if you have a chance to look at the YouTube on Facebook, uh, the inner room, you'll see that those areas that are arid and they have uh, little creeks and they have rocks. They're the places where Jesus would walk, walking up these mountains. So he walks up and the evangelist says, and after he had sat down, so he sits down and then the disciples come to him. So there's a crowd, there's a mountain. Jesus takes his time to place himself, sits down. Very important that He takes time to do what he does, and then he begins to teach them. In the last few readings, we've been seeing Jesus teaching, and I've been paying more attention to that because I'm a professor and I like the idea of teaching because I've homeschooled and it's important. But in some way, the last few readings, the idea that Jesus takes so much patience to teach has really Come to my mind with a deeper sense of gratefulness for Jesus' care that we understand. So what is he trying to teach us in the Beatitudes? He says, blessed are the poor in In spirit. The kingdom of heaven is there. Then, blessed are they who mourn. They will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. They will inherit the land. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. They will be shown mercy. The clean of heart, they'll see God. The peacemakers, they will be called children of God. Those that are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you and me when we are insulted and persecuted. And every utterance of evil is thrown our way falsely because we believe in Jesus because then rejoicing and being glad will be in our in the reward that comes from heaven so what is Jesus saying when he's giving us these beatitudes i love the meditation that benedict 16 gives about this reading he says that the key to unlock the understanding of the Beatitudes is to know that they are speaking about Christ. And the way that Jesus describes these Beatitudes is almost an unveiling of his own heart. That is, Jesus is poor in spirit. He emptied himself of every part of his divinity to come be one of us. And show us the way of life. He's meek. He doesn't respond back when he's threatened, when he's accused, when he is persecuted. He is mourning for those around when they die. Whether it's the little girl or his friend Lazarus. Or when he sees the women on the path. He mourns himself. He's hungering and thirsting for righteousness. He wants everyone to love his father. He's a peacemaker in the midst of problems in the region. He tells his people, don't take up arms, follow the path of peace. He's merciful when they bring him the woman that has been caught in adultery. He says, if those are not condemning you, I'm not either. So he shows all of the things that he unveils in the Beatitudes, the purity of heart that can bring us to see God and he's going to be persecuted. He is persecuted. So I love the idea that it is actually Christ in the middle of these beatitudes that is the revelation that can help us understand what these things mean for you and for me. When we are choosing to be pure of heart, for example, I have conversations almost daily with my children because the music these days is filled with, Terrible words that are insulting to women or to other races or they're simply just bad words. And there's so many of these songs, they might have very nice rhythms and, and, and the lyrics sound pleasing to the ear in, in the melody. But when you really listen to the words, they're terrible. So I inspire them. Please turn that off. That does not allow me to be pure in my heart. And how do we get to be peacemakers in our own homes when we're not choosing to fight? When we drop the fight, we don't want to be right. We prefer to be happy. Or when we extend mercy, we know that somebody in our work that did something terrible doesn't deserve necessarily that we give them a second chance, but we extend mercy to them. And Jesus says, Do these things because the kingdom of heaven belongs to those that are like me. Follow me. I am. I am God. I am the way. Be like me. The Beatitudes then as a revelation of Jesus' heart gives us a chance to enter into that relationship with him by asking him to help us shape our own hearts.